Hello and welcome to the Behind the Bra podcast brought to you by Barbells for Boobs, where we want to redefine the standard of breast health care and improve the quality of life post-diagnosis of breast cancer. I'm your host, Ziana Hansen, and I'm the founder of this great organization. Thank you for joining us. Today, our guest is probably one of the coolest stories in breast cancer that I've ever come across. And um, I'm super grateful uh, that our paths have crossed. Um, Today we are speaking with Bora E. She is a weightlifter, a mother of three, a pastor's wife, and a breast cancer survivor. And I'm going to give the signal when I say she's a pastor's wife, we're probably going to be talking about God. So if that makes you uncomfortable, just move on to the next podcast but it's a big part of her journey and her story. So I'm very thankful to have her today. Bora, welcome. Yay, thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give the disclaimer, Bora's really shy. So So today we're going to kind of talk through Bora's story. Uh, But one of the things that I really want to speak to Bora about is... um, breaking through her shyness and really getting uncomfortable. And I've witnessed, I met Bora in November last year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh my gosh, it's almost been a year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, we'll just call it a year. So in this past year, <laughs> I've seen Bora get so uncomfortable <laughs> where it's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> um, but it's been such a, I think it's it was something that I've needed in my life in the past year. And so I'm super grateful. And, and for me, this is such an important message because I think that everyday people struggle with how to be get uncomfortable to make yourself better. And so um, thanks for being here. We really appreciate your time and energy and your shyness. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I need to stop saying so, so loud. <laughs> I keep, you know, my, my sound guy, a web guy sitting next to me, keeps looking at me every time I say so, so loud. So the first thing that I want to talk and ask and kind of walk through our listeners with is who was Bora before you, the day before you got your breast cancer diagnosis? What did your life look like? Hmm. Uh, so day before my diagnosis, um, I was already at home at that time due to um, involuntary tremors. And so a year before I got diagnosed, I was already dealing with um, some involuntary tremors and some back issues. But before all of this hit, um, I was very active. I was just always busy at church. I was always busy, you know, doing working, raising my three daughters. um, And on the weekends, I was at church all the time. And so Although the church teaches about having a day of rest, I lived almost 13 years of my life without any rest. And so uh, when I finally got diagnosed with the involuntary tremor, that was the first time that I was able to rest. It was a forceful, it was forced rest, but it was a very important rest for me. And and so I had already gone through all this... um, internal turmoil about how to rest, why I needed to rest and and why I was going through what I was going through. But during this whole involuntary tremors, I was getting a lot of MRIs 
And that's how I found out that I had other health alerts that I needed to be aware of. And then my doctor was like, well, you just turned 40. Why don't we go ahead and do a mammogram? And I was like, well, I already did so many MRIs. I don't want to do any more testing. So I sat on it for three months. And finally, I found that I had a nodule on my thyroid. And so they said, okay, I really think you need to do a mammogram. And I went and did the mammogram. And I, you know, I was diagnosed. Um, they On call- your very first screening at 40, diagnosed. Well, they called me back and said, well, we found something abnormal. And so we need to do an ultrasound mammogram. And I said, well, let me talk to my doctor. And my physician assistant told me that uh, they had the same results on the same side for five different women. And I said, surely this is a joke. Like there was a mistake at Breastlink. There's no way. Same women, same size, like five different women. I mean, it's just just crazy. And so I went to Breastlink and I said, I'm not doing it because I have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't want to do it. And, and I, they finally convinced me we'll just accept pay, half payment and you could go ahead and do the testing. At least we know for sure then it was our mistake. I said, fine. I went in and they told me right away that I needed to get a needle biopsy. And I went, and then uh, about a month and a half later, I was diagnosed. So from the time that you had the needle biopsy, Mm -hmm. why was it a month and a half later? Like what took that? I feel like that's a long time. I think I kind of should have said between when I first did the ultrasound to the diagnosis, it was a month and a half. A month and a half. Yeah. But in between that, I did the needle biopsy. And then within two weeks, I saw my breast surgeon. Wow. Yeah. And so- when you uh, when you originally went in, uh, did you in your head create a story already that you had breast cancer? No, you never thought that no. was even yeah. an option. Well, when initially when I had the needle biopsy, the guy who was doing the biopsy was like, "I think it's just you have really dense breasts. It really shouldn't be anything, and you shouldn't worry about it." And so he he was like. I don't think it's cancer and all that. And then once he found out it was cancer, um, he, I think, was scared. So he called me to cover his behind and say, um, you know, it actually turned out to be cancer. Um, So you need to go see a breast surgeon. Mm -hmm. And when he told me that, um, I, I did have a sense of shock, but it wasn't like, it wasn't real at that moment. You know, it was still, it wasn't real. And if it was going to be real, he assured me it was very small and that I wouldn't have to go through something so traumatic. Um, But when I went to the breast cancer in the waiting room, I was just kind of like, I'm, this is just going to be nothing. Like something something, so small. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm bothered to, you know, bothering to be here, like all of that. And then I saw saw the breast surgeon and the story changed so rapidly, Mm. so rapidly and I, I was lost for words. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, this is one thing that I continue to hear from a lot of, especially young women that get a screening that have some type of breast concern that the technicians are like, you're so young, don't Mm -hmm. worry about it. Um, And it's almost this like false reassurance. Mm -hmm. And, and if you're a technician out there, doctor out there, like I would advise just because it, I think that I've only heard anger from women Mm -hmm. that were told this and that all all of those, like, I wish they would have just been honest and been like, young women get breast cancer or, Mm -hmm. hey, it can 
breast cancer doesn't discriminate. Mm-hmm. It can happen to anyone at any time. And mm-hmm. so I think that we as a society and a, at the healthcare system should be very open and honest with women mm-hmm. to say it's possible. Mm-hmm. Anything is possible, right? Like yeah. nobody is immune to this disease. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's very possible. And I know that when I was going through, um, you know, my, my, going to appointments with my sister and she had, you know, stage four, mm-hmm. that they wouldn't just be very honest with us mm-hmm. about, hey, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I literally, I didn't know how to ask them because mm-hmm. I was like, can you guys just tell us like, mm-hmm. what's this looking like for us? You know, yeah. like how much time do we have? And, and I just wish they would have been a little bit more honest about mm-hmm. the reality mm-hmm. of the disease. Mm-hmm. And the reality is women get it under 40. Mm-hmm. And the reality is stage four, it's not curable and it is a death sentence. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I, I, I think that that's just something that I hear a, a lot from mm-hmm. breast cancer survivors mm-hmm. that are like, Hey dude, everyone told me I was fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I wasn't. And then your life changed, mm-hmm. right? Obviously. So you get that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. What did that next two weeks look like? Like what, what stage were you in? You were, mm-hmm. you were 40 years old, three daughters, mm-hmm. married, active in church. Yeah. Never resting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Never resting. Um, so when I went to see my breast surgeon, um, I went in thinking it was probably something very small and something that I could resolve very simply um, because I've had people tell me can- breast cancer is so common. It's really not even really cancer. And so, <laughs> you know, I went in thinking maybe, uh, and mind you, I, I was having other health issues. So a lot of uh, elderly people around me was thinking maybe I was just probing too much and I found things to be sick about, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so when I went to the doctor and, um, she did a, you know, mam- you know, another MRI and, and all of that, um, they found out that my, originally they thought it was DCIS mm-hmm. and, but the mass was pretty big. It was four inches. And so I had no chance of lym- lumpectomy. Yeah, right? of a yeah, the, of because a it was just too big. It was too big. I could not save my left breast, um, and so she said, most likely I need to get a unilateral mastectomy. And then um, it turned out, you know, from going from DCIS but big mass, it went into underneath that I had a lot of invasive stage one cancer, but it was hidden because my DCIS was so so big. And they couldn't figure that out until they went in and actually removed everything, right? Well, Is that was it after your mastectomy that you found out? Um, they said originally one. I had like two, two invasive tumors with the needle, uh, MRI. Um, once I had the unilateral mastectomy, they said it covered the whole left breast, oh, wow. but the, the DCIS was so huge that it wasn't showing up on the MRI. Mm. And so it was, for me, the best way to go was the mastectomy and, you know, did yeah. you have any chemo, radiation? Like, was there any... Initial, they say I needed chemo and radiation, but luckily once the uh, mastectomy was done, they determined that I won't need it. And so luckily I didn't need treatment after that. So I'm right now being treated with tamoxifen, you know, mm-hmm. the hormone, because mine was estrogen positive. Um, and so that's, that's the only treatment, technically treatment that I'm getting. Mm. But once I found out, um, and I was diagnosed June 8th, and this was right before my girls went on um, summer break. And so we didn't want to ruin their summer break. So we didn't tell them until a couple of weeks before I needed to go in for the surgery. And how did your girls take it? 
Um, we approached them very, we were very honest with them. Um, we told them mom has cancer, but we caught it in early stage. Um, but she's going to lose her left breast and, um, but we're going to do our best to overcome it as a family. And, um, I think my older two was like, okay, mom is pretty calm about it. And so we're going to be okay. But my youngest one went into like, this is death. Like, uh, are you going to die? Mm. And so she really, her eyes just really opened up to what death may look like and, you know, all of that. But the older one, um, it's kind of funny. My middle child, she doesn't know how to handle bad news. So she kind of chuckled. She kind of laughed. And mm. I said, why are you laughing? <laughs> it's kind of a serious topic. And she goes, I don't know what emotions to show right now. I just feel so uncomfortable. And yeah. she said, I don't know what's, what I should look forward to, like what's going to happen in the future, what you're going to look like. Because mm. already, I've, like I said, I've had so many health issues prior to this breast cancer and our life has already changed so much because I went from being really super duper active and I was still cooking and cleaning and, you know, doing all the rides and taking care of the kids to where I couldn't even hold a pan to cook for the family. And so they had already had so much adjustment to their, you know, regular lifestyle. And then this cancer thing happening, they were just like, what more needs to change? And um, because they had to really step up and help out at the house too. And so I think they were just kind of concerned how much it was going to change. Right. But overall, they took it pretty well, I think, except for my younger one. Um, and my husband was like, we're going to just take it one day at a time. We're just going to take it one day at a time and see you know, what comes next. And, you know, with many survivors, I think they all agree. Once you get diagnosed, you get so much information thrown at you. <laughs> you don't know. I say you become a student of breast cancer. Yeah. <laughs> it's and like a crash course. It really is. And then, um, they, you know, surgeons tell you, oh yeah. And once you see a plastic surgeon, whom I never thought in my whole entire life that I would go see a plastic surgeon, let alone for my breast. Yeah. Um, and so it was just kind of like, I'm going to go see a plastic surgeon. And, you know, she made it seem like, yeah, and you could just put an implant and it should be fine. But then again, I went to a plastic surgeon and the story changes again, right? You're, you know, it's not really a good idea because you may, you're going to need chemo and radiation and it's, and all this other info just made everything so confusing. A lot of conflicting information. Yeah, yeah. Um, but honestly, um, my husband and our family prayed about it each night and we just really asked you know, to give us wisdom. And ultimately I made a very difficult decision to do uh, DIEP flap surgery, which is, you know, using my own stomach yeah. fat and muscles to reconstruct. Um, it was a very difficult decision um, because I don't know if I could share this, but yeah, totally. I this went from here. being almost triple D to a small C. Mm -hmm. And for me, there was a little bit of a vanity tied to it. Mm. You know, like I've always been, used to this large this, breast yeah. and uh, you know I would joke around like after three kids like you know it was so saggy I could probably <laughs> be like the African women and whatever <laughs> throw it over your right shoulder <laughs> yeah, and like feed more know? babies yeah but <laughs> but I never thought I would have to think about actually losing the size and you know having to go through all of that it was it was that was more traumatic for me um, because, you know, not just losing your breast, but now you have to adjust to this whole new size that you're not. Well, it's a whole new body yet for yeah. a woman, because I think that we identify ourselves with our women parts so yeah. much yeah, and we overthink them and we're trying to constantly improve them. And, right, right. um, I think that for women we're, we're so identified by our looks mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, even I can be very transparent here and on this podcast, 
I used to judge women that would get their boobs done mm, like mm, when I was younger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. now with what I do, like, and I'm around so many, yes. <laughs> so many implants. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I probably was judging women mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that were breast cancer survivors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, shame on me. And, and wow, what a lesson learned on my yeah, behalf of, yeah. You know, now my best friend has implants. Yes. He says he's not the kind of person that would ever get breast <laughs> implants, but she has them now. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that that's a, that's a big, a big piece to going through breast cancer mm-hmm. is the change in your body because women already have so many body image mm-hmm, mm-hmm, issues. Mm-hmm. And now you have three young girls mm-hmm. that are going to see their mother's body change mm-hmm. in front of their eyes mm-hmm. and how do you explain that to them and just the change in your energy and the change in your dynamic as a as a provider mm-hmm. in the household um how how was that change how did your husband respond to that how like so now how, how long has it been now that you've gone through when were you diagnosed what year um 2017 in june so okay. i'm in my second year you're in second year so now you've had two years of mm-hmm. this Everyone calls this, I hate it, the new norm Mm -hmm. of who you are, your new body, your Mm -hmm. new hormones, your Mm -hmm. new whatever it is. Mm -hmm. What has the last two years looked like for your family? Um, I think the first year of going through mastectomy and all my reconstruction, I don't remember that year because I was so medicated. I was in and out of the hospital. I had five surgeries in six months. And so um, I don't remember what that first year was like. But I do know that now, you know, with with the tamoxifen, there were so many hormonal changes. And Mm. so I had to, I was talking to my daughter who's going through teen puberty and I had to apologize to her. I said to her, I'm sorry that while you're going through your hormonal changes, I too am going through hormonal hormonal changes. changes. And so we're just going to be miserable together. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, And so it's been a lot of up and down emotionally. Um, Of course, there's physical difficulty too, but I think mainly emotional changes. But um, I think overall, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I think being diagnosed with cancer in a way has been the best thing for me. Mm. Yeah. And the, and especially starting November after being part of the collective, mm. um, so many, ha- so many things have changed. And, um, my husband said to me the other day, he's like, I like this bold Bora, <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, speak for herself Bora because it's, you know, I was the type of wife and you know, a mother like, oh, whatever you guys want to do, let's mm-hmm. go do it. Whatever my husband wanted to do, I was fine. Like, I didn't really speak up. Even when we were to go on a date, I never said, this is where I want to go. I would be like, oh, I'll just go wherever you go. Mm-hmm. But it's got to a point where after being sick, I've learned to kind of speak up for myself. And so then I'd be like, yeah, I want steak tonight. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, all right. You know, and he's not, he wasn't used to that, but it's, it, that has become the new norm in our uh. house. Oh, mom's speaking up for herself, you know, or, or I'll, um, the negative side is I'll guilt trip my children. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're not going to do the dishes. Your disabled mom's going to do it. <laughs> Technically I'm disabled due to the tremors. And so then, you know, that's their new norm, but yeah. Um, but at least you guys can have some fun with it. So yeah. you had five surgeries. I have five surgeries. Um, for your your friends that said it's, it's not even really cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that is so important that I think that 
breast cancer is so perceived as the easy cancer. Mm. It's like everyone just kind of wraps this pink ribbon around it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if I feel like, and this is me being on the outside. I've never, again, I've never had breast cancer. I've just been, I've been blessed to be around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone wraps this pink ribbon around it and puts all this fluff around it mm-hmm. and, you know, celebrates and, you know, with this big hope perspective that, you know, breast cancer is really nothing. Mm-hmm. So many survive, you know, and, and, and it's great. And I'm so thankful that women are surviving and, mm-hmm. and thriving every single day. But just hearing that, that it's not even really cancer. I want people to understand how many surgeries, how much crap mm-hmm. actually happens mm-hmm. to a woman, mm-hmm. because I don't think that people realize like mm-hmm. because they can't see it. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I keep going back to is when a woman is done with treatment, and I know you didn't lose your hair, and I and I know mm-hmm. that I know there's all different types of therapy mm-hmm. and treatment, but once a woman goes back to looking like herself again, mm-hmm. and her hair's back, like nobody can see the scars mm-hmm. underneath your bra, mm-hmm. get it behind the bra, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and so people just think that you're normal again, mm-hmm. and that's the hardest part of survivor, being a survivor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because. Um, like I went through the mastectomy and, you know, I, I look so healthy from the outside and she I does. Went, and she moves really, really well under a barbell. I'm going <laughs> to just you. add that in. <laughs> and so I look so healthy. Um, you know, um, I learned cause you know, before when I was struggling with my backache, when people would ask me how I'm doing, my answer is always, Oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I got this. But um, once I went through a mastectomy and I was in so much pain, but I looked so normal, people thought after seven weeks I was all better, but they didn't know that I was going in for reconstruction, which was supposed to be a 10 hour surgery, which ended up being 12 and a half hour surgery. And I was in the ICU for two days and then regular hospital bed for three. And um, it's it's a horrible experience, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, just, and then, when you finally get up and you go home and you see the scars and I'm like, I've been butchered. I'm mm-hmm. like, I feel like a meat on the meat market. Like I've, I have no breast. And then, you know, one time I had no breast. And then once I did the reconstruction, I have, you know, incision from one side to the, you know, to the other side, other side. And it's, it's not a pretty incision. And, um, some people thought that I was going to do the flap surgery because I wanted a skinnier stomach, like thinner stomach. And I'm like, <laughs> there's so much things that are involved in this, that having a smaller stomach is it's the least, last of, of, your, <laughs> the least of your concern. Right. And, um, and that was the hardest part. And then I had issues with my belly buttons constantly losing and leaking because of the incisions that was made from the flap. And so I've lost my belly button. And so not only have I lost a left breast, I've lost a belly button. Right. So I kind of make a f- joke with my husband. I say, I'm, I am a happy, like a weird, creepy, happy face with one eye because I don't, <laughs> I'm missing a nipple on my left side. And so, I mean, you can't laugh about it, then you can't get through cancer, I think. Yeah. But it, that's how I felt when I came home. I, I broke down because it was, it was nothing like what I had expected. I thought once I have a reconstruction, it was going to somewhat look like a breast, but it looked like literally, um, it looked like you have like a piece of steak and then you have your state, your yeah. skin covering it. So it's not a beautiful breast, like normal implants, you know, where yeah. it's like perfectly round and you know, whatnot. And, and, um, and then, you know, I went from triple D to a small C and then 
And then my nip, I, this is getting very TMI, but it's like my <laughs> love it. Yeah, Bring my it n- out. nipple was placed much higher and, and, and <laughs> it was color. <laughs> and it was slanted. And I even had to go to my doctor and plastic surgeon and question his, you know, his skill. Yeah, his skill. I was like, I don't know if other patients complain, but you've stitched my nipples crooked, <laughs> you know, like one nipple crooked. And he's like, oh, you're the first one who actually noticed. But that's actually what happens when, because they have to sew it. And so like, it, it gets crooked. And I said, I'm the first one to tell you that you do things crooked, you know? But well, I, mean, I think a lot of women come out of that, like, and I heard this from Ceci because my best friend, Ceci, she had two, dif- two different nipples. Mm. Literally, like, one looked like mine. Mm. I don't look like Ceci at all. She's mm. short <laughs> and dark. And one looked like hers because she kept one, right? And so um, we had the chance to, to, we had a great friend, Tim Hendricks, that redid her nipple for us. And... Um, and I remember her saying, I was like, why didn't you say something? Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't you tell them, like, excuse me, like, mm-hmm. I paid for this because mm-hmm. insurance didn't cover for the mm-hmm. nipple tattooing. And mm-hmm. she had a nipple tattooed on. And uh, she's like, they just told me that I'm, I'm lucky to be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I'm, I should not complain. Mm, wow. You know, and, and I'm like, that's, really? Yeah, that's. And so I think that a lot of women aren't going to complain about their surgery because they're just thankful to be alive. Mm. And that's sad. Mm. Yeah. Because you have to live with your body for the rest of your life. Right. You know? Right. And yeah. so I think speaking up to your ladies, speak up to your <laughs> yes. your surgeons or whatever, yes. whatever, and yes. tell them, no, I yeah. want my boobs done right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I completely agree. And that's one of my reasons of not doing um, a nipple tattoo on my left side. I decided to just skip on it. A lot of people, a lot of my doctors kept pushing because that's, they say it's going to bring closure to my, you know, my surgeries and what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. But after being poked around for so many times, like so many ways, I didn't want more needles poking me to just so that I could have a 3D nipple. It really has no function whatsoever. Mm. Um, and so I, I left it be. And honestly, it's a good reminder for me um, not that my scars have been, you know, lightening up a little bit. It's a good reminder for me to constantly be reminded of where I've been and where I am now. Mm. And honestly, where I'm going to be, you know, and and my kids were joking around like, and I don't know, they're probably embarrassed because my, my kids tend to run around even though their dad's around, you know, in their towels or whatever. Yeah. My dad, my husband's like, why are you guys always like nude? And, Naked. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, one of the girls were all like, mom's always nude now. And I, I realized it became true because it wasn't like that before I had surgery, but it's kind of a reminder for me. Um, and I try not to hide my scars. I think my it's important for my girls to see my scars and see your life could take a turn within mm. a split second and you just have to learn to deal with what you got, you know? And, um, and just for me, there's such a deep lesson to that, that I think I do, you know, kind of walk around showing Proudly. it off. Yeah. And, yeah. and not only that, but because of my medication, I am exhausted after showering. Like I am so tired that I can't, I don't have the energy to put on lotion or get dressed right or away. Or pajamas. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just kind of yeah. have to rest a little bit and then I'd be like, okay, I'm ready to get up and do my other stuff. And so, yeah. I think that it's such a great, uh, it's such a, a, a life lesson that your girls get exposed to that not everybody gets mm-hmm. in life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I've always said that I feel like breast cancer 
uh, gives you 10 years of wisdom that mm. you might not have that, you know, like you save 10 years of struggle because it happens and you have to go through it so aggressively and so fast that your wisdom grows so mm. quickly yeah. and you become this deeper soul mm. because you get your life gets questioned mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. you know, a year mm-hmm. or like however long treatment is. Mm-hmm. And then you have to live with this new body, this new life. So your, your girls got exposed to this. Mm-hmm. And so while that might've been hard for them, I feel like it's such a great lesson in adversity mm-hmm. um, and how lucky they are mm-hmm. to be exposed to this disease as young girls, I mean, that's three girls that now know what breast cancer is, what it does. Mm-hmm. They can now become great advocates in breast cancer mm-hmm. and keep the legacy for young girls alive. Mm-hmm. And so I get to see this as like a, again, like it's the best thing that's ever happened to you, mm-hmm. you know, cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's how you can't control when you get breast cancer, but you can control your attitude. You can control what you do with their, yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just a wonderful thing for your girls. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, and I think my faith has grown during this time too. And and it just in every way, I mean, of course, there's a loss that I had to really go through that grieving process. And I think um, that was the biggest lesson that I was learning through the you know through the sur- surgeries and you know recovery from that was you know, how, how do I overcome this difficulty, you know, emotionally, physically, and, and, you know, grieving is such a weakness. I feel like people think that it should be very short and quickly done and move on. But because of my faith, I think, um, you know, God has shown me how to grieve and, and told me that I could grieve as long as I want, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't like, okay, I'm done with two weeks and then you move on, you know, whereas people really did, I know you you briefly talked about it where, um, after my recovery and I started walking around a little bit, then, you know, they stop asking you how you're doing. Mm -hmm. They just, they don't want to approach it anymore. Or, um, after a year into my remission, they just think everything's back to normal. But even within that year or even the second year, for me, the second year was harder because the side effects of tamoxifen had now brought me to depression. Mm. And the depression was so deep and anxiety was so deep that I ended up getting medication for it. And then, so then I have tamoxifen side effects and then depression Perfect. medication side effects. So I am hormonally just all over the place. All over the place. And you have hot flashes, you have cold flashes. And, you know, I have thin jackets, thick jackets and shorts like in the car because I don't know what I'm going to have, you know, what I'm going to yeah. need to wear, you know. And, you know, sleeping through the night is hard because I'm like having hot flashes. So then I have to use a thinner blanket when then I get cold flashes and I have to double up. You know, it's I never get a full night's rest. Right. And so people think, oh, Bora looks fine. She's you know, doing worship on stage and she's weightlifting and all of this. So Bora's doing great. But the thing is, they don't know what it takes for me to get out there. They don't know what it takes for me to even come to AOW to weightlift, (laughs) you know, like, or how many times I go, I gotta just turn this car around, you know, just go back home. But, you know, just pushing myself to get here for me, um, especially when I go to CrossFit and the coach was like, I've noticed that you always put personal record, personal record. And cause you know, we have to keep tabs on what we do. And I said, because I want half the battle of just coming here. Every day is a freaking record, (laughs) Paul. I'm like, I broke my record just by coming here, not just doing the workouts, but just getting here. Because so many times I just want to turn the car around and go Mm. home, you know? And so, yeah. Yes. And this brings me to uh, 
watching Bora get uncomfortable. So Bora's a very special uh, woman in our community because uh, when I when I found Bora, uh, she was not a CrossFitter. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was not in the fitness space. Mm-mm. She was not a weightlifter. So, mm-hmm. so let's talk about how you found Barbells for Boobs and then how you found yourself at this weekend long fitness uh, retreat that we like to call the Rad mm-hmm. Collective. Um, we hosted one in November last year uh, at Newport Beach in this Airbnb with about 21 women, mm-hmm. uh, Bora being one of them. Talk us through how you found us and how you even showed up at our doorstep that day. Because <laughs> it's an incredible, incredible story. So I found about found out about Barbells for Boobs um, because, because of my back, I was going to a physical therapy center. And my physical therapist happened to be a weightlifter at AOW who then started getting involved at Barbells. And during, during one of the treatments, I had to tell them mid-treatment that I was diagnosed and then they had to stop treating me. But she reached out to me and said, I know this great organization, they could help you find doctors, they could help you with many questions that you have. So here's the number, go ahead and contact them. And so I have actually contacted Barbells before I went to see um, my second plastic surgeon because I saw one plastic surgeon and I didn't like him very much. So mm-hmm. I called Barbells. And I spoke to one of the people here, and she gave me great suggestions. And um, but I, you know, I ended up doing the. She gave me suggestions on how to do plastic surgery and all of that, and, you know, implants. But I went with the other other surgery. So then, you know, I thought, oh, okay, well, Barbell's boob is here, and you know, I could contact them whenever. We answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the Rad Collective uh, was happening. I guess because my information was in the system, um, somebody contacted you're, me. You're, you're stuck. Once you, <laughs> you call us, we got Apparently. you, Laura. Well, I, I told my husband, this is all God's doing, right? Who knew that my physical therapist was going to be um, involved in this and then they were going to tell me about it. And I just thought it was like something that I was going to bypass. But then you guys contacted me regarding this RAD collective. And by this time, November came around, I was kind of seeking for survivorship or, you know, survivor group that I could be a part of, you know, because I felt like this was such a lonely journey for me. And, um, and so when I got the email, I was very hesitant because I'm not very good at meeting new people. And, you know, I, I mean, I do that at church all the time. So when I have to do it for myself, it's just, I'm just not willing to do it. And cause I'm an extreme introvert. And so I was like, oh, there's this thing. And my husband's like, I think you should sign up for it. I said, mm, no. And then I said, I'm sure it's going to cost money because, you know, we're financially having right. a hard time. And then, and he's like, I don't care how much it is. I think you should just totally go for it. And, you know, being the obedient wife that I am, <laughs> I said, okay, I'll, I'll contact them. And then I contacted them and they said, oh, we have a sponsorship. So we want you to come. And I said, oh, and I said, this was, I was going to be like, honey, it's really expensive. I can't go. <laughs> You're like, no, <laughs> tell me it costs something so I don't have to go. Right? I was looking for every excuse. and But then they gave me the sponsorship. So I was like, oh man, I, I guess I should go. And I really thought of it as God leading me to go. And so I signed up and, and the date came and I was getting anxious. I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't know these women. <laughs> I don't know anything about this. I know, only thing I know is that some of these women are athletes, like they're CrossFitters. They're going to be buff. They're going to be like strong women. I'm going to be fat, chubby. And <laughs> I, 
have no idea what I'm talking about. So I didn't want to go. So my husband, um, because I wasn't able to drive at that moment, he had to drop me off at the Airbnb. And the whole time I was like, I need to just turn the car around. I don't want to be I'm here. so thankful that your husband <laughs> drove because if you would have drove, you would have driven home. You would have gone home and I would have never met you. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was a two nights event where I, I was offered to sleep over at the Airbnb <laughs> and I said, I'm not sleeping over there. I live 30 minutes away. I said, I'll just go home and come back. And um, so even on the but way- But you brought of, in your sleeping bag, right? I, I did the second night. <laughs> so second the night. first night I was like, I'm going home. So honey, just stay around. I don't know how how long I'm going to be here. I know it's going to go late, but I may just call you so that you could just come pick me up early. Or if you can't pick me up, I'll just Uber home. I was really ready to go home. And so as soon as I walked in, I saw many women and I got to be honest, they were buff and there were, <laughs> there were like a lot of women that, you know, I was just, you know, not ready to meet. And so I pa- dropped my stuff and I sat for a little bit and then somebody told me I had to take photos and I was like, I'm not ready to take photos. And so I had, I had snuck away and took a walk to the beach, kind of had to like, you know, take a deep breath. Yeah. I could take a couple of deep breaths and say, okay, you got to put your big, pants on, you know, big girl pants on and go back in and try to mingle with these people. So I went and I met a couple of women, Nicole and Mandy, I think was the first women that I mm. met. And I, I was sitting there and I was trying to chat with them and I could feel the sweat just like coming over me like, oh, this is so uncomfortable, but they were so sweet. And they said, oh no, this is not all about, you know, you know, whatever. But I just, it wasn't the conversation, but I saw the smiles on their faces. And I knew this was a group for me because all the groups I've been to was like, I was diagnosed. And yes. you know, they just start sobbing, which I think it's very important. But at the moment, at that time, what you needed. yeah, I didn't need any more crying. I just needed to kind of, how do I survive this with other women, right? Yeah. Who've been through it. And so Nicole and Mandy was the first one where they were smiling and they were just explaining to, yeah, I'm a survivor. Cause I couldn't tell which one was staff or which <laughs> one was survivor, but they all had these great stories. And, um, and, uh, still I was like, I want to go home. I want to go home. And when the time came, I was so relieved to go home. But when my husband asked me, how did it go? I said, I, I really like this group of women. Mm. Um, and then he's like, then you should sleep over the, the next day. And I was like, oh man, you're really pushing it. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? You're right. I'm going to try. And so I brought my sleeping bag and slept on the couch. And I remember Bora walking into the house with her sleeping bag. And she's like, I'm spending the night tonight. And I, I was like, we got her. We did it. Yeah. No, I was so hesitant. Even packing the sleeping bag. I was like, I don't know. I don't know about this. And then um, and another thing that I remember from the collective was um, some women, they've been diagnosed, what, seven years ago, mm-hmm. five years ago. And yet, when they were sharing their story, you could still see how they're reliving it and the and, struggle. Yeah, yeah, and for me, that was really important for me to see because everywhere around me, everyone who haven't gone through the cancer was telling me it's time for you to suck it up and just be move you know, on. Yeah, move on. Life. You know, yeah. they said there's no more cancer. You know, and I really felt the pressure. Like I should maybe I was being a drama queen, maybe I was mm. milking it. And, um, but these women, the way they were reliving it and they were sharing their struggles really made it okay for me to grieve and um, continue my path of you know struggling with what I was struggling with. And so that was great. But then the next day you guys took us to Rumination CrossFit and I was like, 
was like, I'm going home. <laughs> what? They is said, this? we want you to do a handstand walk. And I'm like, I can't even walk on my two feet. <laughs> and so I was like, I am going to take pictures, but I have no idea what I'm doing here. And so I honestly thought after the collective, I said, I thought, what a great event. But I thought my, my um, relationship with Barbell was going to be that. It was going to be like, oh, maybe, one, one maybe day, once a year. Yeah, once a year, I'll like <laughs> go help out or, you know, support them and just do things. But then the weightlifting hooked me in. And then um, you guys started that weightlifting Wednesday. And I think that's when I started coming out mm-hmm. more consistently. And then and then just having to talk with Yuzi, I think I was like. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to reveal something okay. on this podcast with Bora. I think that I needed Bora just as much as Bora needed me. And. I think that, like, I intentionally created the weightlifting on Wednesdays to get you here. Oh. <laughs> I <Man>. knew. <laughs> I I saw what I saw what transpired at the collective, and I just, I thought it was so amazing to have a woman come in that wasn't a CrossFitter, that wasn't connected to our, our community at mm-hmm. all. And I almost saw this, like, you represent all of the opportunity, mm-hmm. all of the women that we can help, mm-hmm. because- you don't have to be a CrossFitter for us to help you, right? And mm-hmm. so that was really, that really is what drove me to find out more about you mm-hmm. and to like kind of figure out how do we keep you here and mm-hmm. how do we create um, create our programs for mm-hmm. like the non-CrossFitter. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to see your growth. And so I was like, I created every scheme I could to like, make sure that Bora not only came to the collective next year, but like was consistently (laughs) in my life. And so, because you're everything that you shared that night and Mm -hmm. and throughout the weekend was so impactful for me. Mm. So, and, and then I I made you start. So I make, I make Bora send me photos of her phone. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't care what Bora eats, Um, but what I care about is that I get to talk to her every day Mm. and I get to check on her every day and she kind of gets to check on me every Mm day. Mm. It's cool to see what she eats. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've tricked you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm such a sucker. (laughs) I am such a sucker. But I also knew that if she had to send her photos to somebody, maybe she'd be more mindful of what Mm -hmm. she's eating. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying. She is, she's doing (laughs) really, really good. But to see, and also what it, having a connection to you mm-hmm. and knowing all of your medical history and kind of that you're a mom and you're mm-hmm. struggling in all these different areas, it helps me build great programs. Mm-hmm. It helps me really get in the trenches and work with somebody and be with somebody. And that's why like this past week, week I was like, I'm just going to train with you. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> so, um, but it helps me understand what's mm-hmm. happening because, mm-hmm. because I don't understand it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't relate mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. breast cancer because mm-hmm. I, I'm not a survivor. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you, when you say you're going to do something that you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was like, you need to come in here and I, and I make you go to chiropractor on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> and I almost look at you as my test dummy. No, I'm just like, I want to know, like, is this stuff helping, you know? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then mm-hmm. how do we make sure that it is helping? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and Bora also goes to Ruination and mm-hmm. uh, Ruination CrossFit, shout out to them, mm-hmm. uh, Paul and Shannon and Mike down there. And really making sure that we're working as a team to mm-hmm. take care of Bora. And that's really my hands-on work that I get to do because mm-hmm. I usually sit at the top and I'm like, yeah, I'm the founder of Barbells mm-hmm. for Boobs and we get to help all these people. But 
I get to help you every single week Mm -hmm. and you get to help me become Mm -hmm. better at what I do. And so I trick you a lot. I know. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking back, I got tricked several times. (laughs) So gullible. (laughs) So gullible. But so, so for me, it's been such an incredible, Mm. uh, year Mm. because I've learned so much from you. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, one of the biggest things that I've been learning from Bora and she's been very vocal about it, the bold Bora, (laughs) uh, talking about how really uncomfortable we Mm. make her. (laughs) I make her so uncomfortable all the time (laughs) and I don't even realize it because I'm just, I'm an athlete. And so Mm. there's a lot of things that I do in the gym that are really just like normal to me, Mm -hmm. but it's, excruciating pain for Bora. So I'm going to give you this one story and, and I I'm so embarrassed by it, but it's a really great life lesson for anybody out there. That's a coach that's going to be working with breast cancer survivors. Um, so, you know, we're weightlifting together and Bora's telling me about her low back and we're trying to kind of problem solve her low back issues. It was really hard for her to get into the squat position and overheads position. And so I'm kind of trying to work, work through this with her. And so I put this like red hot on my low back and, and I have Dr. Chavez, one of my coaches here, uh, he rubs it on me. And so I was like, hey, Bora, go have Dr. Chavez put on a uh, red hot on your low back. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking nothing of this other than Dr. Chavez is putting red hot on your back. <laughs> Again, I was, I'm a massage therapist. So mm-hmm. touch to me is very, I'm very open with touch. I love touch. Right. So I don't think anything of it. Bora has a good workout. And then after the workout, I'm like, Hey, go into the room and let's put some heating pad on you. Mm-hmm. And so I have her in the room now with Dr. Chavez with the doors shut. Cause I do this. <laughs> so why wouldn't Bora do this? Right. <laughs> So she sends a message to like our little like small weightlifting support group saying how uncomfortable she was. I was. And she was so she she's intimidated by men and like mm. she just like when men touch her. <laughs> and the whole time I'm reading this message and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even think like I'm I didn't even think that this could make somebody uncomfortable. I'm like, I, I totally violated Bora. But what, what the great part was, was that the end of the conversation was like, I realized this, this was really uncomfortable, but for some reason I'm comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Like you've created a place where I'm mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that was so rewarding for me mm-hmm. because I'm so comfortable here. Mm-hmm. I'm so comfortable with the environment that I've created mm-hmm. to know that somebody that this was such an uncomfortable place for, that it was also comfortable for you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that you were vulnerable enough to share that with us mm-hmm. and give me that heads up because now I'm going to approach the next Bora mm-hmm. in our lives a little bit differently. I might ask them like, Hey, do you mind being touched? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It was almost like, Hey, just get in line. Everybody's going to get red hot on their backs. Just stand <laughs> in the line, like, Bora. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't even just Dr. Chavez, right? Cause I, I was doing weightlifting and then coach Russ was like fixing my arm yes. and like, you know, like telling me to straighten my back. So he would touch my back and I'm like, or my knee. And I'm like, I'm not very comfortable <laughs> Why with are this. you touching <laughs> like, my iliac? Yeah, I've because um, especially because I was raised at the church, right? And then um, being part of the ministry too, um, we have this rule where, especially when we do ministry with my, you know my husband and I, we have this rule where um, same sex could be in the same car together, but if it's a different gender, then we always have to have a third person in the car. And so I've always had that, like to prevent you know anything bad from happening. And so my, that mentality has always stuck with me. Not only that, but I do have weird fear of 
opposite gender. Like I can't really mix words with them very well. And, you know, being a pastor's wife, I know how to fake it. Like, oh, hey, and I'll give everybody hugs. But it takes me a great deal of energy to get there. Um, But I think if I haven't developed some kind of relationship with you at the collective and I, I feel like there was a connection with you and I that I think I felt comfortable sharing my most uncomfortable things. <laughs> and um, I think because you made this place such a safe place for me that even though initially it was very uncomfortable and and not only that, but like Coach Juan still talks about it, how what, the first day I got here, he told me to squat and he had to help me up because I can't, <laughs> I just had, you know, I just had back surgery not too long ago. So yeah. it was really hard and he still talks about it. It's like, I'm like so embarrassed. You're so proud of your squat, <laughs> that's why. But like, it was kind of like, these men have seen so many athletes come through here. They probably think, oh my gosh, what is this woman doing here? You know, and and so I, you know, with that kind of mentality already, I was uncomfortable. And then that mentality made yeah. it more uncomfortable. And you're like, next one is like, you're going to go see Dr. Dr. Chavez and, <laughs> and you know and I'm like oh gosh like I'm revealing my skin and you know yeah. he's like massaging and I was like I don't know if you know but I went home thinking but then who would do this for me right who who would provide this kind of opportunity for me right and I always you know I did like yoga or Pilates before I got sick but it was always like oh but I always want like a personal trainer you know whatever but being a pastor's wife it's kind of you know not yeah not the most it's ideal glamorous. right but it's way too glamorous <laughs> you gave me those kind of opportunity and not only that but you gave me coaching with physical but also for me to be myself kind of mm. you know all these times that being a different role, like being a daughter or being a daughter-in-law or um, being a pastor's wife or being a mother, you wear so many different hats. And with somebody that has personal like personality like mine, I know how to conform to each, each people. Hat. Yeah, mm-hmm. each hat. And I kind of lost my identity. And by coming here and talking to you and, and Coach Russ and all these other survivors, I've div- I've started to kind of come out. Like Bora, mm-hmm. real Bora has been coming out a little bit. And and I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from having tremors and cancer and all of that is finally being an advocate for myself, you know, mm-hmm. like um, telling Coach Russ, like, my back hurts today. Like, there's no way. I mean, I still struggle with it, but still I get to that point where I kind of do tell him, like, I think one time recently he and I were training alone and I was so scared. <laughs> and then it, there was a lot of awkward silences. And I finally said, it's, you're so intimidating. <laughs> He's like, why am I so intimidating? I was like, first of all, you're a coach. So in Korean standards, like you're like up here. And so I have to show you respect. And then you're just intimidating, yes. you know? And so it's just so many awkward and uncomfortable positions I am placed at. But um, I think through the year, the last year that I've been coming here, um, I just been developing boldness. Like Mm -hmm. it's okay to be here and I'm worthy to be here. Whereas I felt like so many things that was happening in my life, I was unworthy and and it was undeserved. Um, You know, I wasn't deserving to have those things, but you've, you've made it so easy for me to say, Hey, like, you know, it's like the red carpet is just, yeah. <laughs> come on, Bora, come in. This yeah, is, yeah. Well, I think that I think that's an important thing because I think that not only breast cancer survey, but women have to put on so many hats for mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what this place 
probably represents for me as well is I get to just put on a Ziana hat. And so when we do train, like that's just me being able to be Z and put my hat on and, and just be the woman that I am. Mm -hmm. And I like being a strong woman. I like to, you know, Mm -hmm. I like to take care of myself. I like my son to see that I'm strong Mm -hmm. and that I take care of myself. And, um, your daughters are coming in now Mm -hmm. and weightlifting Mm -hmm. and getting, now you get to share this part of who you are Mm -hmm. with them, Mm -hmm. which is probably totally like from the mom that couldn't carry the pan Mm -hmm. To now they're seeing you snatch. Yeah, it's amazing. It's got to be really inspiring to yeah. your girls as well. And yeah. so seeing that before my eyes too, that's almost like phase two, like the Bora Bora 2.0 now. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, I get I get the, <laughs> I get the kids now. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Mini Boras. <laughs> Mini Boras. Yeah, I think that's really great for our family because um, not only do we give life lessons, including God, like this is what God has given us, but... Um, you know, so many times where I could relate to my kids, even their high school years. And, you know, they say, you know, mom, I'm so afraid to do this. Or, you know, I was so afraid to try out for this. And I said, you know, I could share with them, like, are you kidding me? I'm afraid to go to AOW every Wednesday. <laughs> or, you know, I never thought I'll be doing any kind of sports like Olympic weightlifting or or even some of the things that we do at CrossFit. But the thing is, you know, God give you those opportunities and you go and do it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the fact that you listen and you obey, and there's like a huge lesson that you teach your children about it. And I see my kids, um, whether they live it out or not, they hear it and they mm-hmm. see it. And, um, you know, sometimes they feel like, okay, mom, my life is hard, but my mom gets up every morning, at least start, tries to have a full day, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, it's been a great encouragement for all of us, all five of us in our family, you know, and, and they see how their dad is stepping up. I mean, he's been a great dad all their lives too, but you know, with me not working, he's been stepping up to take extra shifts and doing other things to provide for the family. And, um, and I, I just feel like it made our bond stronger Mm. and we appreciate each other a lot more. And, um, you know, and, one thing I love about my family is that we have a very great sense of humor. So we're able to just laugh about what has happened, what will happen and, and, um, you know, what may happen. And, and it just makes us a stronger bond, you know, and, um, I really appreciate that. But part of the, part of the thing, the journey would not have been like that if I didn't have barbells for boobs or Mm -hmm. AOW, because like you said, them coming in here and watching me is for them. It's like, Wow, like, you know, they only hear about it. People hear about, oh, Bora's doing weightlifting. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I never share about myself too much on Facebook or Instagram either because I'm very shy about it. I'm not very bold about it. But um, last Wednesday or Thursday, I was here and Coach Juan and Coach Chavez was like, this is a competition. And so <laughs> he uh, he made me and Anna, um, you know, put the chalk on our hands, which I've never felt I was like, Good enough Ready? to put yeah. chalk on your hands. I never put chalk on my hands. If you ever notice, if I come in, I never put chalk because I'm like, those are for real athletes. Like, I'm just doing, you know. And he's like, no, you put chalk on your hand. And then he's like, oh, next up, you know, Bora, blah, blah, blah. And then I go up and I have to do these moves. And and he made another athlete tape me. And I sent you a clip. But I was sharing it with my small group people. Mm-hmm. I was sharing it with my husband. I was sharing it with my mom because I was like, mom, look how far I've come, you know, yeah. I've come, right? And so my all these people who've heard I was weightlifting, they just thought I was doing barbells and like dumbbells and they have their image. But when they saw the video, they were like, 
Oh, you oh, legit like Olympic weightlifter. I was like, what did you think I was like, talking about? That's an Olympic sport. Yeah. You're doing that. Yeah. And I said, who would have thought, right? And like mm. this this old boy, like I seriously was a 30-year-old in the 80-year-old's body, yeah. you know, and now I feel like I'm somewhat in the middle, like maybe I'm 60, you know, <laughs> physically. But yeah, you know, I'm 40 and now maybe physically 60. But I, I don't think um, a lot of the issues that I had from the past, like, confidence issues and all of that would have come this far if I didn't have this organization. And Aww. it's really no lie. Like, um, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday and she did this great thing. And I was like, why don't you share it on Instagram? Because I think people will be so encouraged by that. I would not say that because I don't like to do that because right. I feel like my story is not encouraging enough, but I've seen you share your stories. I've seen other survivors share their stories. And I've sh I've shared with new coming survivors and I've realized no story is so small that you can't share. And you might think it's the silliest story, but it impacts somebody one way or another. And I think that is such an inspiration. Mm. And that's why I always say, Z, you're, you inspire me. Like you inspire me to push myself more. Like that's part of my mindset. It's like, so he wakes up at six o'clock to work out. <laughs> I could barely get out of bed at 7.15. And yet I'm complaining I can't go to CrossFit, you know? And right. and uh, another thing that Coach Russ said has really stuck with me. And, you know, the other survivor and I were like choking up was like, you see all, their, all these athletes and you think, I have so much to learn from them. But what you don't realize is you're stronger. You guys are stronger than them. Mm -hmm. And they have so much, to, so learn much from to learn you. from you. And when he said that, I was like, I've never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. I've thought of it as us coming here, bothering these other athletes from real train training. Yeah. And we're just kind of, here we are with the PVC pipe, like trying to act like we're learning something. But he had a different mindset. And that made me so much more comfortable with Coach Russ, right? Because yeah. then I didn't feel like he was judging me as this weak old lady that was trying to act like learning. I was learning weightlifting. But it was like, he understood our where our struggles were. And he was trying to understand like, where we're trying to go. And so that made me more confident in, in the moves that I was doing and why I was doing what I was doing. And every time I wanna turn my car around, I keep <laughs> thinking, no, I'm gonna go because by me showing up, it's not just proving myself that I've shown up, but it could be an encouragement to other survivors or other athletes other who athletes. might be having a hard day. And so my mindset has changed so dramatically from going from, I can't make any difference to I can make a you difference. Can, yeah. yeah. I think that the thing that we see here and the energy that I, you know, even just talking to the, the athletes here that are not breast cancer survivors, but for us, it's like, you guys are a gift to us because for us, it's like, yeah, we're weightlifting, but what it has done for the team here is that we get to kind of what we're doing means more like mm. it, like we're representing something bigger than ourselves. And so by having, you know, working out with the survivors and training with survivors, it, it kind of like, it doesn't for, for me specifically, and I've spoken to a few other women here that it's, we get to be here for you guys mm. and we get to be inspired. Like you guys inspire us. Mm. And so it's like, we see it as if you guys can make it in, there's no reason why we can't make it in. And so I think that it's been a, a truly a gift and, and it, that stems from the leadership and the coaching and, and the people yeah. that are running the program mm. um, to, to cultivate that type mm -hmm. of mindset. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that it's actually working. 
Oh, it's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. My kid, my youngest kid loves it. This is just a great, I can't stop talking about it, you know? And so I just, I just really want other survivors to know that, you know, once we get the mindset of like, we can do it, I think um, we could do many, many things. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, Wow. So cool. This is why I wanted to share Bora's story. Because <laughs> this was uncomfortable this too. This is so uncomfortable. <laughs> so uncomfortable. Um, this is your first podcast. So yes, very, very, oh. <laughs> very uncomfortable. Yes, very nervous. <laughs> um, it, so if, if there is somebody out there in the world that maybe has never heard of Barbells for Boobs or um, you know, has a loved one that they're thinking about sending our way, uh, what would you, you know, like, would you recommend it? Would you... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that what we're doing is working? Um, you know, kind of what, what does Barbell Shaboos mean for um, you? Yeah, I would totally recommend it. Matter of fact, I've known because I'm with church or even my neighbors, um, they there were some people who were diagnosed with breast cancer and or they were diagnosed even before me. And I talk about your organization all the time. Um, I talk about how great you guys are and how I have changed through uh, the whole process of experience of barbells. And so anyone mentioned breast cancer, first thing I say is barbells, <laughs> barbells for boobs. But one thing I always say to them is I know when you hear barbells, it's very intimidating. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you hear boobs and you're like, what kind of organization this is, <laughs> right? Is this, but I always say it's, it's great. Um, you feel no judgment. They accept you because you're a survivor and they love on you the way a survivor should be loved. They mm -hmm. don't treat you like, oh, it's been five years and you should be treat being, you should be this way or that way. They understand your struggles and they understand that you still have physical limitations. And so um, if you want something that supports you mentally, emotionally, and physically, then barbell is the right path to mm -hmm. go. That's, and, uh, that's all I've always wanted. was like mind, body, soul. Mm -hmm. It's like, as long as we're healing mind, body, soul. And I, you know, I really think that it, for anybody that maybe doesn't know, but I look at the barbell as a a vehicle for healing. Mm. And I know that it's healed me in so many ways in my life. Mm. And that's why I want to just keep giving it to mm. more people. Yeah. Um, so. And I think you are the one of the biggest, I don't know if I sell, if I say selling point is a big, you know, it's an okay way to <laughs> oh, say everyone it. Everyone come <laughs> But for me, I think, for somebody who's so extroverted, right, and who's so outgoing, um, you have a gift of listening, right? People like to be outgoing, and so they ask a lot of questions, but they don't have active listening skills. Mm. But one thing that I find that, which is great about you, is that you have an active listening skill. You don't just listen and just go, okay, okay, and move on. But you make every survivor feel like, oh, your story matters. And, um, and I think that's why, um, you know, I was able to, have that connection with you. Cause if it was a shallow connection, I would have not. Not come in. Get suckered into all the things that you suckered <laughs> me into. All, all of my tricks. <laughs> all of it. But. I remember I went to, I asked uh, Bora when like one of her doctor's appointments was and like, cause just so I could drive her. Yeah. And, and so, and I could actually listen to what the doctor was saying, because I always say that four ears are better than two when mm -hmm, you're talking to these mm -hmm, doctors mm -hmm. that talk to you like you're fourth year in medical school. And so, uh, so she's like, I don't understand why you want to come with me. Because <laughs> like, I'm your friend. Like, can I just take yeah. you to your darn doctor's appointment without you questioning me? that has me? never happened to me. No friend of mine ever asked, if, can I go to your doctor's appointment with you? Like nothing. So that was so surprising for me. And I felt so loved at that time. Like I was like, oh, this is 
this is amazing. And I share with another friend of mine. She's like, I will go with you if you, <laughs> if you I just, need me to. <laughs> she's like, I just didn't know if you were, you would be comfortable. I was like, you know what? Like, it was really nice to have her go with me and, you know, like, and then listen. I had to remind you, you had a doctor's appointment. You're like, when, when do I have a doctor's appointment? Like, I know, I was Thursday, like, we have another doctor's appointment. I was like, no, we don't. What? <laughs> I know. I was so surprised because you have such a busy schedule and yet you remembered my schedule. So oh, yeah, yeah. Again, you have great listening skills and you not only have great listening skills, but you, you try to remember all of our stuff when you have such a hectic <laughs> schedule of your own. And so that's why you make me feel like I'm the only survivor part of Barbell. You know what I mean? Like, how do you stay on top of everything like that? That's just amazing. And I think, you know, you and your husband, I think are doing a great job. Thank you. I think it, it represents a great cause. And, um, you know, I try to, you know, I'm not a great writer. So every, every day I'm trying to write something on my head about how can I support Barbells for Boobs and all of that. And, you know, one of the things that I always say is like, and I, I don't know how to write it, but I know how to say it is like, you want to support organiza organizations like yours because soon your daughter could be the, you know, mm -hmm. survivor or your mom could be diagnosed or, you know, your best friend or your teacher that you absolutely adore, your mentor that you adore, because it's one out of eight women, mm -hmm. right? And that's, yeah. that's a huge ratio, like of women getting diagnosed every day and, um, and, even though there's many, many doctors that help you get rid of cancer, help you reconstruct your from your cancer, there isn't that many places where you could really get all three emotional, you know, mental, mental. and physical yeah. support and recovery. And and I find that, you know, it's only been my second year, but I really count this year as my survivorship, mm. right? Because the first year, like I said, I was going you through so many. It was a haze. Yeah, it was a haze. And I don't know what I did, but this year it was meaningful. It was difficult yet. It was meaningful because I went through it with, you know, barbells and weightlifting and crossfitting and, and talking with you and sending embarrassing photos of my food <laughs> and, you know, and when I feel insecure, whether you respond or not, for some reason, I just spill my guts to you. Like, oh my gosh, Z, like I did this and I'm like so embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. And and you always respond with no judgment. And you you encourage me to do more than I could ever thought I was able to do. But you somehow see that I could do more. And you push me and nudge me in such a gentle way, you and my husband, that... Um, once I get going and I'm like, man, I got suckered in again. Well, you know, your husband and I, we have secret Bora meetings and I'm just oh, kidding. Is that what it is? Because yeah, sometimes you guys are on the same wavelength. <laughs> so yeah, I can't, I can't recommend this organization enough. Like a church member thanked me for, because his sister got diagnosed and he, she lives in, I think Washington or something like that. And I said, they don't only do it for Californians. Like yeah, they do everywhere. it everywhere. It's and everywhere. So, yeah. And um, whether they reach out or not, I'm the one that's, in the front line saying barbell's the one for you. Like, mm. you know, well, I feel like you get to be our poster child cause you get to be here with me and, and I get to test on you and we get to now take this information and continue uh, paying it forward. And, and so I think that the, the message here is, um, be bold mm. and get uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> and ask your friends if they want you to go to their doctor's appointment with them. If you yes. go to their doctor's appointment with them, you'd be surprised at how easy that task is, but how deep the meaning is. Yeah. So Bora, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your 
uncomfortable life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks for having me. This was uncomfortable, but fun. (laughs) Yes, very fun. So Bora, there you have it. The pastor's wife, the newbie to CrossFit, the weightlifter, the mother that's disabled. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Thanks for being here. Thank you.